Hello everyone, my name is Andy Summers and welcome to episode 20 of Reviving the Soul. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Genesis 11, 1-9 Now the first thing to catch the reader's attention in this chapter is that it seems to be out of place. At a glance, this chapter should have come before chapter 10. After all, in chapter 10 we did read of all Noah's descendants dispersing and filling the earth, spreading to their own lands and their own languages. And this seems to contradict what we just read. According to this text, they are settling in one place all together and they share all one language. But Moses is writing thematically, not chronologically. And he does so in order to give some context to the following chapter. For example, we learned in the last chapter, chapter 10, that Nimrod is the founder of Babel. And so, it is perfectly reasonable to believe that he was the man leading Noah's descendants in the common goal of defying God's command and making a name for themselves. Which which is fitting since his name in Akkadian means, we shall rebel. We also read of a man named Peleg, one of Eber's two sons. His name means division, which indicates that he was born at the time of the dispersion. Now I would like to draw your attention to verses 4 to 7. In verse 4, we see the people embracing rebellion and pride going up to their sin to make a name for themselves. And in verses 5 to 7, we read of God's coming down in judgment to confuse their language. The story of Babel is one that too often parallels our own lives. We read in God's word what he commands, and yet we think we know better, and we can do it a different way. This applies to how we do church, how we involve ourselves in society, how we treat our families and those around us. God commands that the preaching of his word and the gospel of our Lord Jesus be central to the ministry of the church, and yet... Many evangelical churches today give anecdotes and therapy sessions on how we can do better. The Bible commands that we pray for those in authority over us, including our government, and yet we are too busy towing the party line. The Bible tells Christians to stand up for the innocent, the orphans, and the widows, and yet it is difficult to get churches involved in the movement to protect the innocent babies who are being murdered every day. The Bible tells us that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But instead of sharing that gospel with the parents who are killing their babies, Christians are focused on incremental legislation. The Bible instructs fathers to take responsibility for the education of their children, specifically in the things of God. And how many of us actually ask our children what they learn in school and make sure that they are applying a biblical worldview? How many of us actually open God's word in the midst of our homes and attempt to explain it to our children? The story of Babel is our story. The Lord God has given us commands, and because we assume that it is impractical or unrealistic to do it His way, we make ways of our own. We displace God and seize autonomy, just like Eve did when she chose the fruit instead of God's word, His law. 
Why do we do this? We are often motivated by fear, as was the case for the people of Babel. They said, let us make a name for ourselves. Why? Lest they be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Instead of trusting God's word, they chose the pragmatic approach and stayed together. Furthermore, they were going to make their names great. I find this rather humorous considering there was no one else for them to show off to. They were the sole survivors of the flood. The only person they could boast to was God himself. And the great symbol of their rebellion would be their tower that reached to the heavens. Moses then writes in satirical fashion that the Lord came down to see their so-called great tower. The audacity of God's own creation boasting that they didn't need him is countered by the image of God coming down and getting on his hands and knees with his face to the ground in order to see the children of man's puny accomplishment. Psalm chapter 2 says that God literally sits in the heavens and laughs at nations that seem to believe that they can remove themselves from their need of him. It is at this point where the reader would assume that God's judgment would yet again involve another annihilation. But God, who is patient, chooses to judge them graciously. Instead of wiping them out as he has done before, he confuses their language and forces the dispersion of which they were commanded in the first place. The Lord God is a good and patient God. He is gracious to sinners, and he calls all men to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, and he is faithful to save them. Later in the Old Testament, Zephaniah would prophesy a reversal of God's judgment in Babel. In chapter 2, verse 9, Zephaniah says, For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Now I have heard it said that God does not want mankind to be fully united. The Tower of Babel is often used as a proof text for this argument. However, I do not believe that this is the case. According to Zephaniah, God will unite all people, but the difference will be that they won't be united in their rebellion. Instead, they will be united in their service to the Lord God. To be united in hostility to God always leads to death. But a people united in the worship of King Jesus will produce life. And this is proven when Zephaniah's prophecy of a united people is partially fulfilled at Pentecost, recorded in the book of Acts when God gave people from every nationality the ability to understand one another. They were given the pure speech of the Holy Spirit, which empowered them to fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with disciples. And instead of being united in the rebellion against their creator, they would be united by one baptism, one spirit, and one savior. And at the end of this age, we will see the continuation of Zephaniah's prophecy when people from every tongue, tribe, and nation will bow before that savior, the seed of the woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a donation. There's a link in the show notes where you can do that. Also, if you would like to contact me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Psalm19Revive. If you are listening on iTunes, please leave a five-star rating and review. Doing that will help promote this podcast. And thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of Reviving the Soul. And until next time, apply all of Scripture to all of life.